Ring around the rosy, a pocket full of posies. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. <laughs> Welcome to the Parasite Podcast. I'm Sherry. And I'm Marie. And today, at the explicit request of one of our adored Patreon patrons, we will be doing a holiday-themed episode. Well, Halloween is officially over. Yeah, we still have two more holidays, though. Indeed we do. I just finished eating all of my leftover candy. I wish I didn't love candy so much. It just doesn't feel the same about me. Oh, me too. Don't you think it's kind of funny that we're super excited to drag all of our skeletons out of the closet to kick off the holiday season? And then we spend the rest of the entire holiday season trying to stuff them back in? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) It's just funny. But I do love Halloween. I do too. Did you decorate? I did. I didn't do as much as I'd like to, but I did do some. Oh, good. Well, I think that I like Halloween best because the kids are the ones who put in the work of getting into costumes and running door to door. And all I have to do is give them one tiny piece of candy and they get completely excited and happy. That's so cute. I also love seeing the people in the neighborhood who decide to be really all out. Make the whole haunted house and the lights and sometimes even lasers. Those scare me to death. (laughs) They can get kind of scary. When I was little, I would not go to the houses that were all out. Oh, I liked going to houses where they were a little bit more old-fashioned, but very scary. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, but overall, the holidays, especially Thanksgiving and Christmas, are a time for family togetherness, and I love them because it's one of the rare occasions that most Americans come together with their friends and their family and bond over some traditions and cooking traditional food and everyone's favorite meals. Oh, I have a friend who was forbidden to roast a turkey for Thanksgiving. Oh, no. Because her son's girlfriend was a vegetarian. And she claimed that even the smell of cooking meat would destroy her ability to eat with the family. A girlfriend. This is why we don't invite girlfriends in my family. You've got to be married. Ah, wait, though. I know that you did have an engagement and that person was invited. Well, that's close enough, but we're not changing our plans for someone who's not part of the family. I would probably be the very same way. Anyway, the entire family was disappointed because their most traditional dishes had to be set aside to appease this young woman. What about the stuffing? Did they still get stuffing? stuffing? Well, they kind of got stuffing. It was a vegetarian stuffing that was made with oil instead of butter because she's vegan. Oh, no. And so in the name of peace, this family ate tofu and vegetable dishes and mourned the loss of all of their family traditions. They were really afraid this boy was going to marry this girl. Well, that was very nice of them to accommodate her, though. It was, but they weren't very happy. <laughs> I, I think that would be hard, but I think they'd made the right choice. Yeah, and the next year, that vegan girlfriend was ancient history, and they were back to their old family traditions. <laughs> That son still gets ribbed about the awful Thanksgiving he made for them. Well, that is really hard, but I think that's more about being a tyrant than any specific dietary restriction. True. In my family, we have Sarah, and when she first came home for the holidays, we were worried because we knew she was a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. But she just brought new dishes, and they were actually really good. They were vegetarian, but everyone liked them, and you know we like meat. 
Mm -hmm. And Um, we like Sarah, too. We do. (laughs) And they did get married, and she's still a vegetarian, and she still is a great cook. And all of those holiday meals have been incorporated into your holiday food list, haven't Mm -hmm. they? Yeah, they're new traditions. And so if you're not dating a tyrant, your family gets to relax and enjoy a convivial meal where we all dress up and honor the occasion. And it's just a wonderful time to get together and just feel really accepted and cozy and warm. Oh, that sounds really sweet. Yeah. I mean, not everybody gets that, as we'll see in a minute, but it's wonderful when you do. That's true. I know we had some times where we were feeling like we really had it together, and then we realized that we forgot to pick great-grandma up. So everybody (laughs) had to put their food back and rinse and dry their plates and wait for someone to go fetch her so we could start over. We didn't want her to feel left out, (laughs) and we felt pretty awful. I know. It's so hard, but there's so many people sometimes that happens. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) But what about that time when the family ate in silence because crazy uncle, well, we know what he did. We don't need to rehash that one. (laughs) Oh, no, we do not. So the preparation and eating of the meal are not the seamless occasions that we've created in our minds with the help of television and all social media. But after dinner is usually very nice. (laughs) Family and friends can relax, letting the L-tryptophan do its drowsy best to calm all nerves. And we can turn on the television and watch a game of football. What a great way to kick off the best part of football season. Is there a best part of football season? Like, honestly, I'd rather do anything else. I know you hate football. (laughs) I know, but, like, why can't we just watch a movie or play a board game? Oh, and fight over whether the kids are better off being exposed to a movie where people are making love as opposed to one where people are making war? Not that debate. Maybe board games. Those (sighs) are a safe bet. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Like Yahtzee? Mm, oh, you've got me. Yeah, let's see how that works <laughs> I out. I know for where you're going. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Jacob Cobb. So, after sharing a traditional Christmas with her dear friend Anna Crummy's family, 49 year old Tamara Lee Mason and her three boys headed home. Tamara was ready for some human connection, some family time. The dinner was a marginal success. There are always a few wrinkles when your kids have disagreeable temperaments. Tamara had often found herself walking on eggshells over the years to keep her boys from just blowing up in anger. It could be trying, but she felt these boys were worth it. She loved them a lot. She did wish they would be a little more agreeable and cooperative. She wasn't sure she would ever see them working together as a team. She knew the saying, there is no me in team, and there was definitely no team in them. Well, are they teenagers? Because that tends to be the truth for teenagers. They're 25 years old down to 16 years old. Mm, 25's a little old. Mm-hmm, I think so. He was almost 26. Oh. So she straightened the kitchen and she put away the food because, of course, her friends had sent her some food home. And there were a few dirty dishes because she'd also taken some dishes with them to eat. Mm-hmm. Dishes finished, she headed out to the living room. She was disappointed to see the television on and her 16-year-old son, Jacob Seth Cobb, vegging out in front of it. Come play Yahtzee with me, his mother encouraged. Ah, I remember this story. It's a sad one. Jake barely moved. His no sounded more like a guttural grunt. 
She shrugged her shoulders, left him to his TV, and approached her other two boys, 25-year-old Dylan Clemens and 18-year-old Andrew Cobb. Surely someone would remember the fun they'd had in the past with this game. But they both brushed her off, saying they were too busy or too tired. Nobody would play Yahtzee with her. Dylan was still angry because his mother had told him it was time for him to move out and get a place of his own. The one who's 25? Yes. Well, I think it's about time. You'd think he'd be excited. Maybe. And if she's asking him to move out, he's probably not making home life very pleasant. No, it sounds like he was grumpy. Mm-hmm. He was slated to move out the very next day on December 26th. And boy, was he mad. That's a hard time to move out, honestly. I think so, too. Tamara understood the importance of human connection, and she was determined to share this potentially happy Christmas memory with her sons, like when they were little. Game nights had worked when they were young, and they could work tonight, too. Like most mothers who face intractable positions over something that really means a lot to them, she pushed. Mm-hmm, that can get dangerous. She felt Jacob would be the most amenable of her grumpy, angry boys, so she plopped herself down between him and the television Oof. and insisted he come play with her. Jacob really didn't want to play Yahtzee. I've learned getting between teenage boys and the television doesn't end well. Not very often, but usually not this terribly. Yeah, not usually in murder. The situation quickly escalated, and Jacob was soon on top of Tamara, strangling her as she struggled for her life. She tried to call out to her other two sons for help. Hearing the commotion in the other room, 25-year-old Dylan ran into the living room and stopped short as he realized his youngest brother was killing their mom. He had to think quick. No one is ever prepared for spontaneous outbreaks of violence in their home. But the boys had talked about this before. They figured Jake was the only one who could get away with killing their mom because he was still a minor. Dylan felt he'd made the correct choice as he joined the fray, ensuring a win for Jacob. And a win for him because now he wouldn't need to move out at all. Andrew joined his family in the living room as the life seeped out of their mother's body. Finally, a team. These boys had some work to do. It's the worst example of team camaraderie I've ever seen. Well, they're an interesting group of boys, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you'd think that they could get along over something else, but okay. Yeah, so their mother's body is now on the living room floor, and for some unfathomable reason, Andrew, well, it depends on who's telling the story. All three of them have been blamed for doing this. But according to most of the media, and according to most of the source records, Andrew decided it would be a good idea to put a plastic bag over his dead mother's head and secure it in place with his belt. She may have been breathing a bit or seeping bodily fluids or he might have thought it was some cool anti-zombie thing that he'd seen on TV or something. No one really knows why he did it. But Tamara wasn't coming out of this alive as evidenced by the lack of a 911 call being placed by any of her three sons. It's so sad. It breaks my heart. 
The boys propped their dead mother up against a pillar in the hall. Maybe it was so they could all watch TV together one more time, or perhaps this confirms the suspected seepage. Who knows with them? But they started working together as a team to come up with a way to get away with murder. For them, step one was dispose of the body. They made a plan. They'd bury her first. In the middle of the winter? Right, they couldn't. They were in Alberta, Minnesota, where winter temperatures on average range from a high of 24 degrees Fahrenheit to a low of 7 degrees Fahrenheit. The ground was frozen solid and under a ton of snow. So they made another plan, Plan B. They loaded her body into the back seat of a car and headed out to find a place to dump her. But this plan didn't work out. I think there was fresh fallen snow, and they knew that the tire tracks and the footsteps leading to and from the body would get them caught. So they took her body home, and they made another plan. The third plan would be orchestrated by Dylan. The next morning, on December 26th, Dylan headed out to visit his friend in South Dakota. Tamara accompanied him on this hour-and-a-half car trip, hanging out in the trunk of her own car, where they hoped her body would remain chilled. His buddy had a burn box, and he intended to use it to hide the family's crime. That's terrible. It makes me sick, but Dylan couldn't do it either. I'm glad he had something he wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. He returned home on the 27th with his mother's body still hidden in the trunk. The boys were in a panic. Bodies are very difficult to hide when it's freezing cold outside. After some thought, they came up with plan number four. They put their mother's body in a shed in the backyard. Burying her would have to wait until spring. And they moved on to step two. Step two was make it look like she's missing. The boys knew they needed to add a question mark to the disappearance of their mother. And they would also need to keep quiet. They made a pact of secrecy, and on December 27th, Dylan called the police to report their mother as missing. He told the police she had gotten angry at them when they wouldn't play Yahtzee with her on Christmas Day. She had hastily gathered her belongings and stormed out of the house. They thought she would return when she cooled down, but they say they never saw her again. And on to step three. I think it's interesting that most of the time their lies contain a little bit of the truth. Because they did have a fight because of Yahtzee. Mm-hmm. It's just that she never left the house. That's right. So for step three, stay quiet and wait for an opportunity. And they waited. They knew it would be a while before the ground thawed enough to bury their mother. And Dylan started to get worried about getting caught. His mother's body seemed to haunt him. Three months after the murder, he mentioned having some kind of fight with his mom to a friend. And during the course of that conversation, he casually asked, How does one get rid of a body? Asking for a friend. The friend helpfully suggested slipping the body into a hog pen. Ugh. That should do the trick. At some point, we hope it's after he threw up at the notion of treating another human, no less his own mother, this way. He cautiously revealed the body was his own mother's, confessing that his youngest brother had murdered her in a fight over playing Yahtzee. 
Shocked, the friend asked him where his mother's body was at the moment. And Dylan coyly answered, Oh, it's somewhere. And this led to the inevitable step four. Well, that's what the pact of secrecy was for. Usually when you tell other people, they're upset and tell the police. (laughs) Right, because it violates all senses of human decency. Mm Mm-hmm. And step four is, of course, get caught and get convicted, which wasn't in their plan, but was always part of the plan. This was all the friend needed to know to make a trip to the local police station. In June, the police brought Dylan into the police station to talk about the murder of his mother. According to the Daily Mail, Dylan vehemently denied being involved in any murder whatsoever. But his guilt was working overtime at that point. He confessed his involvement to the police, saying he wanted her dead, that he hadn't come to her aid when Jake was killing her, and that he'd been instrumental in getting her eventually buried in the backyard after spring thaw. Okay, so that's a lot. It's not being part of the murder, but it's... (sighs) Not being a nice person either. Yeah, and covering up after the fact. Mm Mm-hmm. According to DL Online, he and Andrew, the 18-year-old brother, had made a hole in the floor of that shed in the backyard and covertly dug down five or six feet to create a makeshift grave. Kind of like the Kananans in episode 11. Mm-hmm, just like that, except they were in the garage. Tamara and her purse went into that hole, and the boys felt they had finally gotten away with murder until the police had shown up with questions. As they usually do. Mm-hmm. So what happened when the police showed up? The police located Tamara's body, and they arrested both Jake and Andrew, and then later they also arrested Dylan. Jake pled guilty to second-degree murder while committing third-degree assault. What does that mean? It means the prosecutor didn't think that he had planned this out for a long time. So what's happening here is they're saying that the murder happened because the assault happened, that he didn't plot out the murder, he didn't have intent, he didn't have malice aforethought. It was just he was assaulting someone and went too far and knew that he was do what he was doing was going to kill them but hadn't plotted out the murder beforehand second degree murder is is not the same as first degree where they have to have had the intent before the acts oh so like a misdemeanor death is when someone dies because you're having a fight mm-hmm. and you didn't intend to kill them but murder means you intended to kill them but first degree is when you've made a plan so second degree is more of a an act of passion? Sometimes. It depends on the state. It depends on the facts. Mm-hmm. Second degree always means that you didn't plan it out for a long time beforehand, though. Okay. But you had a murderous intent in your heart or something like that. Yeah. So what they're saying there is that the prosecutor looked at this and went, there was a fight, he was hurting her, and he knew what he was doing was going to kill her, and he chose to do it. But maybe he didn't decide to do it before the fight started. Okay. Well, where it was a plea, and he had talked with his brothers about being the only one young enough to kill her, do you think that factored in somehow? 
It might have. Um, it might be that they were planning to charge him with first degree. Because they talked about it beforehand, it kind of sounds like he was ready to kill her if the opportunity came up, and then he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so he was sentenced, Jake was sentenced to 10 to 15 years. And then while in prison, he wasn't the best behaved. Mm-hmm. He went fisticuffs with another inmate who had thrown a glass of water on him. But he's out of prison now, and he's on parole. Oh, okay. So do you think that he served such a short time due to his age? Mm, that was probably a factor. It always surprises me when some people get like this, 10 to 15 years for the murder of their mother, and then other parasite offenders get life without parole. It's always a surprise to me that the range is so huge. It's really confusing, and when we look at cases on a national basis, it's even more confusing because different states have different sentencing guidelines and different judges within those states will apply um, those aggravating factors differently. Mm -hmm. Um, So the sentences can vary widely, and they're kind of supposed to, because it is supposed to be very much a case-by-case basis. That's true. That's very true. So it is hard, though, because sometimes we don't agree. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So his brother Andrew pled guilty to a charge of accessory after the fact, and he was sentenced to 22 months. So does that mean that if he's the one who put the belt around his mother's neck, they were pretty sure she was dead before that happened? Yeah. Honestly, it sounds like probably what was going on there was that she was already dead and they knew she was dead. Um, And that was not about trying to suffocate her. It was about trying to keep her from making a mess or something Mm -hmm. a little bit more gruesome. Um, Or, Or Jake actually is the one who did it. Yeah, it's possible that it looks like the facts... It's possible that they weren't able to prove that Andrew was the one who did that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know what kind of evidence they had as far as who did that. Okay. So he got out for that charge, and he's been in trouble again in August of 2019. He was found guilty of a felony domestic assault charge that included charges of stalking and interfering with a police officer. So he was sentenced to serve five years for this crime. Ah, So he got out, and he's already back in. Wow. And then the last brother, Dylan, who was already in prison in St. Cloud serving time for a domestic violence conviction, also pled guilty to accessory after the fact, and he was sentenced to roughly nine years. And that would probably be a longer sentence because he already had a criminal history, so that would have been um, a step up in his Mm -hmm. sentencing. Well, and he was much more involved. He was dragging his mother's body around trying to dispose of it. Yeah, and he was the oldest. I mean, there's just a lot of factors there. Uh But that prior criminal history is what's usually going to bump up the sentence. I'm not sure when he was released, but he had a stalking charge lodged against him in March of 2019 that indicated he had been released into parole in October of 2012. Mm. So back to prison he went. (laughs) But there are no current records that we saw saying he's still in prison at this time. He has an email address that indicates he thinks killing someone over Yahtzee is cool or funny. What is it? Well, I don't want to dox him over it, but it's just disappointing. That's very true. So I guess in terms of Yahtzee, this family went from a full house to three of a kind. Yeah, and we'll leave it to you to name what kind they are. (laughs) Uh, Okay, maybe the holidays aren't great for everyone. Perhaps people are imperfect souls. But most everyone has a nice Thanksgiving one way or another. 
If you do, consider yourself fortunate. Big holidays like Thanksgiving can evoke happy childhood memories that we try to duplicate, at least somewhat. But that doesn't work for everyone. I mean, I love the homemade rolls, the freshly baked pies, and the happy times with my cousins that Thanksgiving brought to me every year. But big holidays are often the times that families begin to notice the cracks in their foundation. They've been so busy running around trying to get life right for the rest of the year, they haven't had time to look around and see, actually see, the people in their family. So Thanksgiving is often the day that people realize that the kissing cousins are actually kissing and the day is kissed. And so many women spend their entire lives doing the heavy lifting to ensure Thanksgiving is that happy occasion we all remember. But a lot of those same women end up eating alone in their later years while their children forge new relationships and new traditions with their own children. Well, that's true. Or it might be that those women aren't as lonely as they are relieved that they no longer have to witness the sibling skirmish that solves Christmas because now no one is talking to each other. (laughs) That's very true. Holidays can be very hard on families. Yeah, but they can also be fun. Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving can be sweet, fun, relaxing, and enjoyable. It can be saved with liberal doses of patience, acceptance, and in some families, alcohol. (laughs) Or it can be tragic if you insist on having a jerk attend your dinner. Take, for instance, the Thanksgiving dinner of the Richard Henderson family in Manatee County, Florida in 1985. I can't believe something bad would happen in a place named Manatee County. I knew you were going to love that name. (laughs) (laughs) Richard Edgar and Janine Harrison met in Missouri while they were still in high school. And despite her dad opposing their relationship, they married, moved to Florida, and had two sons. 11-year-old Jake, a shy boy, a good kid who did well in school and only wanted a new Xbox for Christmas, and 20-year-old Richard. We're going to call him Dick to avoid confusing him with his father. It's always good to use a second name when they've got the same name. Absolutely. So Dick had been a handful for, well, most of his life. His uncle says he's been half crazy for half of his life. He'd gotten into drugs. He'd taken any drug he could get his hands on, including marijuana, meth, and cocaine. And, like most immature children, he resented his parents for trying to get him into rehab. I wonder if the half-crazy was caused by all those drugs, or if he was using all those drugs to self-medicate. It sounds like he was kind of a problematic child. Mm. Maybe he did have some underlying problems beforehand. Those are some pretty heavy drugs. Yeah, they are. Well, four years earlier, in March of 2001, there had been that Columbine wannabe thing. Dick had been 15 years old when he and three of his friends decided to find fame, not understanding the difference between famous and notorious, because they wouldn't stay in school. (laughs) So they were going to shoot up their school. Oh, where did they go to school? Lakewood Ranch High School. Well, Lakewood Ranch High School is kind of their school. Dick and possibly some of his homicidal friends actually attended the nearby alternative school, Horizons High School, which was affiliated with Lakewood Ranch. 
Their plan was to get high on alcohol and muscle relaxers and then have one friend pull the fire alarm while the other three friends shot students and teachers as they exited their classrooms. So horrible. Every parent's nightmare. Mm -hmm. All four teens had planned to commit suicide at the end of the shooting spree, or at least they said they were going to. Dick had even written up a suicide note dated February 28th for his three-month-old baby daughter. Wow. I can't believe he already has a baby. I know, right? Yeah, he's got a lot going on for a 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. He was a handful. Mm-hmm. He'd married a 14-year-old who was the mother of his baby. Oh, okay, well... I mean, this is just really strange for a 15-year-old. He's already got a long history of drug use. He's already married. He's already got a baby. But he still wants to shoot up a school? You'd mm-hmm. think he'd have bigger priorities at this point. Yes, he's done a lot in his short 15 years, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Well, thank goodness they were caught red-handed before the shooting commenced. Yeah, I'm so glad that didn't work. Mm-hmm. But it was clear the kid had problems. Deep ones. Suicide attempts, self-harming, drug abuse. He was convicted on a felony weapons charge and received five years of probation for the interrupted school shooting. He violated his probation three times when he was arrested for domestic violence, but the last time charges of domestic battery and aggravated assault stuck because he ignored a restraining order, ordering him to stay away from his wife, Brittany, as she filed for divorce. He was now 19 years old, so the marriage did last for a little while, although I'm betting it was not a good one. Yeah, three counts of domestic violence in a four-year marriage? Mm-hmm. It's not very good. Well, three counts of domestic violence, a lot of drug abuse and self-harm, an arrest for shooting up a school. Well, thankfully only trying, right? That's right. That's right. Trying. He's not even 20, and he's lived a very wild life already. Mm -hmm. A very chaotic life. Mm -hmm. So Dick spent four months in jail after violating that order when he showed up at Brittany's home in December of 2004, according to the Bradenton Herald and threatened to slit her throat if she didn't go into her house with him. Yeah, she was smart not to do that. Very smart. He did slit his own wrist during that confrontation with a steak knife. Oof. Mm-hmm. But he received credit for time served, hence the four months in jail after he pled guilty. So he was out of jail by May of 2005? Mm-hmm. Where was his daughter when this happened? I'm not sure. I would bet the daughter was at home, though. That's so terrible. So let's fast forward to Thanksgiving of 2005. Dick, freshly divorced or in the throes of divorce, wanted to spend the day with his new girlfriend, Jennifer. But his parents told him no. He was expected to be home for the duration. Janine had cooked a huge meal with all of the fixings, turkey, ham, pumpkin pie, everything. The family loaded their dinner into the family van and headed to an uncle's house to share their dinner. Well, that sounds nice. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds like a very nice Thanksgiving. But if you've ever had a guest who is there against their will, 
they know how to really ruin a celebration. According to Web Sleuths, both Richard and Dick were seen arguing outside of their home at some point during the day. And the uncle said Dick was, and I quote, making a real butt out of himself during their <laughs> dinner. I like that he censored his language. <laughs> I do too. He must have known we would use that. He just didn't want to be there. Thanksgiving post-dinner activities reveal some of the weaknesses in this family. They were together for Thanksgiving dinner, some of them by edict, but not really. It appears there was no familial together time after their Thanksgiving meal. Upon their return home, Grandma retired to her bedroom to read, and Jake headed to his bedroom to play video games. Mom and Dad also went into their bedroom to relax, and Janine started playing online poker. They were all in the same house, but it sounds like they weren't together in any sense of the word. I know, right? It seems that people don't understand how to let electronics get out of the way mm -hmm. of them and their relationships. And they may have had some avoidance going on. It sounds like Dick would have been really hard to be around. Mm-hmm. I would say so. Well, according to his interrogation files, Dick entered Jake's bedroom sometime after 7 p.m., and smashed the back of his skull with a two-and-a-half-foot metal pipe. Oh. Next, he went to his grandmother's bedroom and asked her for an item that he knew she kept in the bottom drawer of her nightstand. As she leaned down to fetch him the item, he attacked and killed her. Well, that's just underhanded. I know, and I don't understand in this home, which was not an overly large home, how no one heard anything. Well, it sounds like he was sneaking up behind everybody. You'd think there would be some struggle, but... Well, even if there was no struggle, a metal pipe on a skull? Oh, I can't imagine what that sounds like. And the sounds afterwards? I mean, I'm sure you don't just go, Ooh, ow! Yeah, I mean, maybe he hit them so hard that they didn't have time to scream. Yeah, I don't know, or... I'm not sure how no one heard a thing, but... Isn't that kind of like when Ted Bundy escaped from jail and killed all those girls in the sorority? He hit them with something, blunt force, and killed two girls before anyone heard him? Mm hmm Maybe that's what happens when you hit people in the head. Maybe. I don't know. I just was very amazed that no one heard a thing, because then he went to the parents' bedroom. Mm-hmm. And... He asked his dad, well, first he hid his lead pipe in the living room, and then he went to the parents' bedroom. He invited his dad to play a video game with him, luring him into the living room. And he crept up behind him as they were playing their video game together and murdered him. That's horrible. It seems like he just figured out how to have a sneak attack on every single person. Mm -hmm. It sounds like this was very well planned. Then he went back into the bedroom and finished his murder spree by killing his mother as she sat playing online poker. So he just waited for everyone to be distracted or forcibly distracted them. And then he'd just sneak up and murder them from behind. Yes, but it sounds like he didn't have to wait very long to find them distracted. After he murdered everyone, he says he cleaned up. His maternal grandmother called with holiday wishes for her daughter, but Dick answered the phone and said his mom was in the shower. 
Then he wrote out a confession, climbed into his parents' bed, and stared at the ceiling all night, is what he said he did. Well, he doesn't sound very mission-oriented, does he? (laughs) Not at all. Actually, both of these boys are erratics. Oh, that's so interesting. I know, right? He figured he'd wait until morning and then gather up any money around the house to get some drugs or poison so he could kill himself. Or at least that's what he told the police. Hmm, it seems like if you wanted to kill yourself and you have all this planning done, it would be pretty quick. Yes, it seems like he would have planned his own demise also. Mm Mm-hmm. But... I guess he changed his mind because he showed up at a hotel near the interstate on Friday with two young women in tow. His new girlfriend that he had wanted to spend Thanksgiving with Mm -hmm. and her pal. They checked in and did whatever it is you do with two women in a hotel room until Sunday morning. And that's when they checked out. The girlfriend reported he had told her he'd killed his ex-wife and his grandmother. So he said he'd killed Brittany and Grandma. But he hadn't killed Brittany, had he? No. But I think that was okay with this girlfriend, because she and her friend were still with him on Sunday when he checked out. I would not have been there. I would have been so far gone. I found that to be so odd. Mm Mm-hmm. He also ran into a friend, Roy Rickman, at some point during the weekend. And Dick told him he'd had a great Thanksgiving with his family. After checking out of the hotel, he and the two girls returned to his house to see if he could find some gasoline for the van because he was in the family van. Mm -hmm. Instead, he intercepted family who had shown up, concerned when they couldn't get in touch with anyone. He reassured them that all was well, but that everyone would be better off if they just left because his parents were in the middle of a knockout, dragout fight. But nobody really believed him. Hmm. One relative returned to the house a little after noon. He was taking apart some glass to gain entry into the home when he saw a body. He went around to the front of the house and started to do some serious looking, and then he saw another body in the living room. So he called 911. I'm glad he went to check on them. Me too, but it makes me so sad. Yeah, for him, too. Mm -hmm. It's not something you want to see. No. Well, Dick wasn't there in the house. He'd, of course, left with those two girls in tow. But eventually, they ditched the family van on the side of the road because they couldn't find more gas. He called a third female friend to come and fetch them. Friend number three dropped the girlfriend and her friend at home and eventually dropped Dick at an ex-girlfriend's house. He tried to break into her home at around 6.30 p.m., but her parents caught him, called 911, and not aware of the murders, told him to get lost. He did as requested on foot, but was detained by police a short time later. Upon his arrest, Dick first lied about his identity. Because the cops can't figure that out in about five minutes. Exactly. At the police station, he helpfully described how he'd murdered his family to the police. He told the police he hadn't wanted to spend Thanksgiving with his family. He'd wanted to go to his girlfriends, and they wouldn't let him. 
I can't believe let him is even part of the question here. He's 19 and he's already had a baby, done a bunch of drugs, done a bunch of domestic violence. It doesn't sound like they were at a point where his parents had to let him do anything. I know. I'm pretty sure they didn't let him almost shoot up the school. Yeah. I almost forgot that after all the other things he did. Right. And they let him steal his grandfather's gun to do it. I mean, let him seem such a misnomer. Mm Mm-hmm. Brittany, his ex-wife, later confirmed that this all made sense to her, saying, I think he just did it because he couldn't get his way. He would put holes in the wall if he couldn't get his way. It sounds like he was used to using intimidation to get his way. I think so, and a lot of physical violence. Yeah. So he also explained to the police that he was mentally ill, but that claim just didn't fly with the jury. It's possible that his speaking out in court during the trial with his attorney unsuccessfully trying to restrain him, saying, I want to plead guilty and get this over with, didn't help. I guess he didn't want to be there either. He didn't want to be anywhere, did he? No, he didn't. He sounds very spoiled. He does. Well, now he's stuck. He's serving four terms of life without parole. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he wants to be there. I'm sure he doesn't want to be there. Nobody wants to be there. But what a terrible kid. I know. We didn't want to scare you. It's Thanksgiving, not Halloween. So we don't want to leave you with any worries. So no more murder stories today. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll do what everyone else likes to do. We'll leave you with some hints for the happy holidays. Number one, don't kill anyone. Good hint. (laughs) Number two, remember that patience and constraint will give you a happier holiday. That's so true. And if problems do arise during a holiday celebration, this is not the time to try and solve anything. You can't. It might take the entire next year or even longer to solve problems. So remember rules number one and two. And if you give your children a bad childhood, work all year long to give them a nice adulthood and hope they come around for the holidays. If they don't, keep working on it. If you gave them a good childhood and they still don't want to come around for the holidays, it's not a problem you can solve. That's something they have to work out, and maybe a few years without them around during the holidays will be okay. Which leads to an important rule. Holiday celebrations are not mandatory for every reason in the world. This one might be controversial, but try spending your holidays electronics-free at least for a few hours. Resurrect the age-old art of visiting. Do it for the kids. Take that time to really see them. But maybe don't play Yahtzee. (laughs) Maybe find a different game. Which brings us to our last rule. Don't kill anybody. (laughs) Sage advice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that is the end of the first of our two holiday shows. We'd like to again thank our patron who reached out to us and asked for some Parasite Tales with a holiday theme. 
We really appreciate you, and we hope you appreciated this episode. Thank you. We'd also like to thank Jade Brown for our music and the Daily Mail Online, Twin Cities Pioneer Press, DL Online, The Lakeland Ledger, The Blog Crimes and Curiosities, Web Sleuths, Trench Reynolds at Real Crime Net, The Bradenton Herald, and The Huffington Post for the information and pictures used to create this episode. You can see the pictures and get a copy of the transcript for this episode at Parasite.org. We've left links in our show notes, so you can click right on it if you'd like. As we approach Giving Tuesday, we ask you all to think about including us on your list for giving. Please become our patron. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com slash parasitepodcast, and we'll include a link to our Patreon page in the show notes for you. For those of you who have already pledged your support, we would give you the world if we could. But right now, we can only offer you our podcast and our undying gratitude. And, of course, the extra goodies listed on our Patreon page. For those of you who are thinking about helping to support our show, be sure to leave us your address on Patreon, and we'll send you a personal thank you note and a sticker. If you support our show during Giving Tuesday, we'll even send you a holiday greeting card. We can't wait to see what the upcoming year has in store for everyone. We have one more episode for you before the holidays really take off. And that's when we take off, too. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) After the Christmas episode, we will be taking a short break so we can create our lineup for the next season. If you have any Parasite stories you would like us to cover, please contact us at Parasite.org or at Parasite Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are very excited for our upcoming season. We're working on a few surprises for you. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you one more time in two weeks and then a break until after Christmas. Bye now. Goodbye. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. (laughs) 